0: Welcome to the Whistleblower Newsroom. I'm Christina Bordeson. A wave of physicians successfully treating COVID patients have had their medical licenses suspended or threatened for using early treatment protocols that included ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, two safe, FDA-approved drugs that have been around for more than 40 and 60 years, respectively. Off-label prescribing of these drugs, which have proven effective for treating COVID, is legal. But many doctors prescribing them for early treatment and expressing reservations about the safety of the mRNA vaccines are finding themselves called up before their state medical boards and losing their licenses. One doctor is fighting back. After having had her medical license suspended by the Maine Board of Licensure in Medicine for allegedly spreading COVID misinformation, Dr. Merrill Nass finally got her first day in court on Tuesday, October 11th. Dr. Nass has a perfect record of no patient complaints in her 42 years as a physician. She is also a pandemic expert. As a COVID doctor, she has successfully treated many patients using early treatment protocols that included ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. What you're going to hear today are from two parts of the hearing. In part one, Maine Assistant Attorney General Tim Stiegelman questions Dr. Nass about her record keeping for one of her patients, referred to as Patient 1. In part two, Dr. Nass testifies about her experience by answering questions posed to her by her lawyer, Jean Libby. So here's a portion of part one of the hearing that begins with an exchange between Mr. Stiegelman and Dr. Nass being repeated by the hearing recorder.
1: Question, did patient one expressly give you permission to talk about her medical medical care with her adult child? Answer, now the question is, are they in the same place? If an adult son had called me from far away or close by in another household and wanted to know medical information about his mother, I would not provide it. But three people were living in the same home. The son was caring for them. They were fairly ill and it seemed to me that everyone agreed that he should be a spokesperson for all three. In fact, he had moved into the home to care for them at that time
2: and that's where we broke. So we're ready for the next question.
3: Assistant Attorney General. Thank you Madam Chair Officer. Dr. Nass, I'm gonna try that again because I I asked a question about receiving authorization. You answered some question about people being together. I I don't think those are the same thing. So let me try again. Did you receive from patient one authorization to speak with her adult child about patient one's care?
1: And my answer is no, because I didn't need
3: it. Okay. All right, you've now reviewed patient one's medical record. And I want to ask you um, a couple of things about patient one's medical record overall. Uh, Do you believe patient one's medical record is adequate? Adequate for what? Adequate to comply with your requirements to maintain adequate medical records under the statute and applicable board rules. Uh, Objection,
4: Uh, identify statute or board rules.
2: Okay. So there's an objection to the question essentially on the basis of vagueness and lack of foundation for the uh, licensee to understand the question. Do you wanna clarify this in Attorney General Seigelman?
3: Sure, sure. Uh, Dr. Nass, does your medical record for patient one document informed consent received from patient one? No, it doesn't. Does your medical record for patient one accurately record all patient related electronic communications?
1: It does insofar as I I am required to do so, yes.
3: Does it include all phone calls?
1: What I thought I had explained to you already is that I had many phone calls in which all three members of the family were discussed every phone call since they all had the same illness at the same time. But with this patient, initially seemed the, the healthiest, I guess. She didn't require, I was told by the family that she did not you know I asked questions about how she was doing and they said she was doing okay and so I took them at their word because again this was a phone call or a text message every time there was an indication that somebody might be severely ill in the family I made a phone call back and I think that my records adequately convey as I am these were not Office visits, Attorney General Stiegelman. These are phone calls and text messages. They they are not quote unquote telemedicine visits. This is a patient contacting a doctor for some brief advice. Every phone call does not get documented like a telemedicine visit.
3: Dr. Nass, what is the basis for your understanding of the difference between a telemedicine visit as opposed to a phone call?
1: 42 years of medical practice, my friend.
3: Do you believe your medical record for patient one uh, contains an adequate medical history? Yes. Do you believe your your medical record for patient one includes all relevant records of past care? Yes. Do you believe your medical record for patient one includes all relevant laboratory and test results? Yes. Do you believe your medical record for patient one includes notes of all relevant evaluations and consultations? Yes. Do you believe your medical record for patient one accurately notes when telemedicine is used to provide diagnosis or treatment? I'm sorry. I don't understand the question. That's okay. Do you believe your medical record for patient one fully records all relevant aspects of patient one's condition and symptoms? Yes. Do you believe your medical record for patient 1 fully records your diagnosis and bases for such diagnosis?
1: Since I was only her COVID doctor, it should be clear that I was dealing with her only for COVID.
3: So is that a yes, you believe it's adequate, or no, you believe it was not adequate?
1: I believe it was adequate.
3: Okay. Do you believe your medical record for patient 1 accurately records your assessment and plan for patient 1?
1: Since during her one telemedicine visit, she was healthy, we made a plan for when she would get sick and what she would do at that point, And I believe it adequately conveys the plan.
3: Does your medical record for patient one adequately record the risk benefit analysis you performed in reaching that plan for patient one?
4: Objection. Uh, there's no evidence that uh, s- such is required. Informed consent in writing is only required for invasive and major procedures nobody gets informed consent for writing a covid ivermectin prescription that's simply a false understanding of the law and the rules of the board
2: assistant attorney general segelman was your question grounded in you you premise all those questions with um that they were based on requirements for medical records the specific question still based on your understanding of the requirements for medical records
3: i'm asking Dr. Nass's opinion on the adequacy of her medical record. And in particular, whether she thinks the risk benefit analysis was adequately reflected in the record. Okay. I don't know where informed consent comes from that, but I moved on from that.
2: Okay. So can you repeat the question?
3: Dr. Nass, do you believe your medical record for patient one adequately records the risk benefit analysis you performed in reaching your treatment plan for patient one?
4: objection there's no such requirement under the telemedicine rules
3: okay
2: so it, again what i'm trying to ascertain Assistant this not turn is if this question is based on your understanding of telemedicine rules for records
3: or if it's a general question probably a general practice in the record
2: okay so let's i'm going to allow that question go ahead when you answer dr math
1: You will find when you come to cross examine my patients that I provide them an incredible amount of time to ask questions, and I do go over the risks and benefits. And since I do it with every patient, and I leave much more time for their visits than normally doctors who are employed at large. companies, large healthcare companies, are able to do because they cannot bill for that time. You'll find that I do it for everybody, and therefore I don't specifically document it, but the patients will confirm that that was done.
3: Okay, thank you, Dr. naz
0: Now on to part two, where Dr. naz is being questioned by her lawyer, Mr. Jean Libby.
3: Now, as a
4: result of your work with the anthrax vaccine, you testify that you were, you appeared before Congress.
1: Yes. Uh,
4: For what purpose?
1: As an expert.
4: Uh, Exhibit four, uh, dated eleven twenty one oh one, is that your testimony before the House Committee on Government Reforms? Yes, it is. Did you uh, appear uh, before the U.S. Senate uh, on the the Veterans Affairs Committee?
1: Yes, I did. Uh,
4: Were you appointed by the Veterans Administration to the Research Advisory Council for Gulf War Veterans in 2009? No,
1: no, I was not a member of that committee. I was requested to provide expert testimony to that committee.
4: Okay and uh, were you the chair of the maine commission to improve the health of national guardsmen
1: yes so um a commission was formed in maine termed commission to improve the lives and health of members of the maine national guard it was voted unanimously by the maine legislature and I was a, I was appointed a member of that committee and then subsequently ascended to be the chair of that committee in 2009
4: and 10. Now, returning to exhibit one, uh, which are your uh, publications, uh, publication listed as number 20, should the military suspend its anthrax vaccine programs published in Physicians Weekly June 19 of 2000. Yes, we've looked at 15, uh, which is uh, an analysis of the CDC's recommendations for vaccine use, which we published in 2002. Uh, Number 12, that's entitled Gulf War illnesses, chemical, biological, and radiological exposures resulting in chronic fatigue illness can be identified and treated in the Journal of Chronic Fatigue Syndrome in 2003. Yes. Uh, Your hearings and testimonies are on page three of your CV. And one was in December. 15th of 1999 meeting the Institute of Medicine Committee on health effects associated with exposures during the Persian Gulf War? Yes. What did that concern?
1: I spoke at two different, a Senate and a House committee on Gulf War syndrome. And I gave different testimonies at both as at both. But in one of them, I reviewed all the potential exposure, noxious exposures that may have contributed or co- to or caused Gulf War syndrome. And so one of them was very extensive, a very extensive literature review of the causes and particularly the evidence of which there was quite a bit that uh, vaccines, including anthrax vaccine were significant contributors to the illness. And that the more vaccinations that were documented for a soldier in general, the more likely they were to develop Gulf War illness. Um, In the other, the first testimony, I think the first was for the house and the second was for the Senate. um, I talked more about treatment of of Gulf War syndrome and my own personal approach, as well as discussing the difficulties with Uh, treatment in general throughout the nation and how Congress might act to uh, benefit the soldiers, the ill soldiers and veterans.
4: Now, drawing the board's attention to licensee exhibit five, it's called anthrax vaccine post by uh, Merrill Nass, MD. Can you describe what that is? Uh,
1: That is my blog. Um,
4: so you were blogging long before COVID.
1: Oh yes, I um, I have a website. Well, I had a website that I started in the late 1990s. That was that's why it was called Anthrax Vaccine, and um, eventually uh, got shut down for reasons unknown to me. But I had started a blog in 20, uh, 2007. And so I have had a continuous, this continuous blog for 15 years.
4: So this particular uh, blog says using new laws for swine flu designed for a much deadlier disease may create a perfect storm. What did that concern?
1: Um, That was another prescient article that I wrote. Um, I was concerned about laws that had come into effect uh, after the anthrax letters of 2001, and that broadened government powers at the state and federal level in the event of an epidemic, pandemic, or biological warfare. And because there were not stringent requirements on what it would take to invoke an emergency or to end an emergency situation, Um, many powers would um, be transferred to governors or to health officials. And I laid out how a not very serious disease could lead to the use under emergency use authorization of drugs or vaccines that had never been uh, properly tested in humans and could lead to a disaster. And I'm really sorry to say, that I predicted what was going to happen with the COVID vaccines in that article in
4: 2009. So, speaking of what happened with the COVID, uh, with COVID 19, can I draw your attention to Exhibit uh, Nine, Licensee Exhibit Nine? When was that published?
1: What you're showing me is is one article I've written.
4: What is the date?
1: This is what he's showing me. This these are extracts from two published articles placed within an article I wrote early this year. And what the two articles that I've put uh, the information uh, in to mine are about is the fact that the federal government, federal government scientists at the CDC in 2005 and at the NIH in 2014 published two articles showing that in vitro, chloroquine drugs, and in the case of the second article, also hydroxychloroquine, and dozens of other drugs, killed the first SARS coronavirus, which was a deadly coronavirus that we didn't have to deal with much in the United States, but they had it primarily in China, Southeast Asia, and a bit in Canada. There were only 8,000 cases, but there was a 10% mortality rate. It was very dangerous. The NIH scientists and the CDC scientists found many drugs, 60 drugs, already licensed, already developed, that could kill either the SARS 1 virus or the Middle East respiratory syndrome virus, which is a, another coron- deadly coronavirus, which had had a 30% mortality rate. And so, um, you know, apparently, federal scientists were very interested in these deadly vi- coronaviruses and were working to find repurposed drugs that would be effective. And they did, and they did. And the fact that they these same federal agencies suppressed the information that they pub- they themselves had published is a crime against humanity
4: so uh on february 11th 2022 did you publish a story the extraordinary extraordinary story of how patient access to covid treatment was denied uh, eventually involving witch hunts of physicians who dared to treat patients
1: i did and that is this full article that he's showing you which is on my blog and on my substack and uh will soon be a chapter in Robert Malone's book, coming out in the next few months.
4: So, uh, I-, I want the very short version of the extraordinary story, what are you saying?
1: I am a doctor who takes care of the patients that no, but no other doctors want to deal with, because you can't make money on them, they're hard to treat, they're hard to diagnose. And so my practice has been a lot of it for 20 years uh, or more taking care of patients with chronic fatigue, fatigue, syndrome, fibromyalgia, Gulf War syndrome, you know, chronic Lyme disease, et cetera. And as a result, I was extremely familiar with the chloroquine drugs as they, as the hydroxychloroquine is the number two drug used for Lyme disease in patients for whom you don't want to use doxycycline. So I've probably used that drug in between 100 and 200 patients.
4: And I also- My question is, has the availability of hydroxychloroquine been suppress?
1: Because I knew a lot about the chloroquine drugs and had taken them myself, because I've had malaria, and I spent six months in Africa and had to take prophylaxis, I knew the drugs were safe, I knew they could be effective, and I soon found out that the federal government had shown that in vitro they killed deadly coronaviruses. I also found out in February of 2020 that the Chinese were using the chloroquine drugs as their primary drug against COVID. And they made that clear. They told us about this in February of 2020. But most doctors in the United States refused to listen, refused to pay attention, and acted like fools. I didn't know whether the drug would work. I happened to have a son who was working at New York Presbyterian Hospital, who is a a physician. And he came down with COVID in March of 2020. And um, at that time, doctors and nurses in the hospital were dying of COVID. And I insisted he use the drugs that the Chinese were using and that uh, uh, Didier Raoult in France was using and claiming great success with. And he did. And he he was very sick for about three days and he took the medicine and he was completely over the illness in six days with no sequelae, no problems whatsoever. So I had an N of one in the United States. We didn't even have COVID really in Maine at that point. But when we got it, I um, started using the drug. However, at the end of March, I insisted my son take it before Trump had ever mentioned the drug. But shortly after Trump mentioned the drug, in about March uh, 19 of 2020, there was a huge hue and cry throughout the United States, and many governors, boards of medicine, health departments, and other regulatory agencies restarted restricting the use of chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine, and sometimes azithromycin, For COVID.
4: At that time, in March of 2020, was there any outpatient treatment available for COVID? There was none. And what was the prevailing advice that doctors were giving to uh, patients?
1: Go home, fluids, Tylenol. And um, when you get really sick, go to the ER to be admitted and get oxygen. That
4: was it. Drawing the board's attention to licensee exhibit 10A, uh, another writing, Dr. Nass, an explanation of the official response to COVID-19 and how understanding more about the virus will help you protect yourself. Uh, was this is this on, on your blog?
1: Yes. Um, yes, I I wrote that. Uh, it's on my blog and it's explained, it was a very popular blog post because it, it was written in March of 2020 and I was trying to provide everybody with information on how to protect yourself from COVID, you know what to do about it, explain things because the federal agencies and the state agencies were not telling people what they needed to know. And I, you know, I'm sorry, but I am an expert in pandemics. And I know, knew about coronaviruses before we ever had this COVID because the coronaviruses are on the list of select agents. They are known to be one of the agents thought to be an agent of biological warfare. That's my field. So I knew about coronaviruses. And I soon after this pandemic started, I discovered the literature on them and the fact that our own scientists had shown we had medicine that probably worked. And then I was able to demonstrate in my own patients that it did work.
4: Did you find in your own practice that the availability of hydroxychloroquine was being suppressed?
1: Absolutely. So um, first, I believe, if I remember correctly, the governor first um, issued something, some executive order or something, saying that um, although we could use uh chloroquine hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin acutely for covid we could not we were banned from prescribing it for prophylaxis and then okay, i let believe me just,
4: let me just stop you there are you referring to the joint statement of the board of licensure in medicine and the board of osteopathy with respect to the prophylactic use of hydroxychloroquine
1: now if i remember correctly and i may be wrong I think first the governor, then the health department, and then the board of medicine all came out with similar restrictions on the use of chloroquine. We're
4: going to look look at all of those individually, okay? Okay. I want to draw your attention to exhibit 152H. Can you tell the board what AAPS is?
1: American Association of Physicians and Surgeons, of which I'm a member.
4: And the... Did the AAPS uh, write a letter uh, regarding ivermectin and COVID?
1: To the AMA, yes.
4: To the AMA. What did the first paragraph of the letter state to the AMA?
1: This letter is to the then president of the AMA, who happened to have also been involved with the anthrax vaccine. And what it says is, The AMA has taken the startling and unprecedented position that American physicians should immediately stop prescribing and pharmacists should stop honoring the prescriptions for ivermectin for COVID-19 patients. The AMA is thus thus contradicting the professional judgment of a very large number of physicians who are writing about 88,000 prescriptions per week for ivermectin.
4: Could you continue with the last sentence of that paragraph?
1: It also contradicts the chairman of the Tokyo Medical Association, Ozaki, who recommended that all doctors in Japan immediately begin using ivermectin to treat COVID.
4: Uh, Now, did the uh, Board of Pharmacy uh, issue a statement the board of pharmacy in Maine. Did they issue a statement with respect to ivermectin? They did. And did that statement have an impact uh, on the availability of ivermectin
1: it locally absolutely.
4: to treat your patients?
1: Yes, it did. It it became extremely hard to get because the pharmacies pharmacists refused to dispense it. And when I I actually one day drove my car and went to all the pharmacies, four pharmacies in Ellsworth and talked to the pharmacists, and they told me they were frightened of their licenses if they dispensed it.
4: We're going to talk about that a bit more, but I want to ask you first how you came to the Board of Licensure in Medicine's attention.
1: Now, that's a good question. <laughs> I'm not sure. Um What they say is that a stranger whom I've never met, who knows, never met me, doesn't know any of my patients, sent a letter to the board complaining that I was spreading misinformation, but never specified what the misinformation was.
0: Now, I
1: would think that if I got a letter like that, I would not have pursued it because there was no specific complaint. What was the misinformation? And what misinformation am I not allowed to say? What did I do wrong? But there was no specific complaint. And allegedly, that is how I came to the attention of the board. But
4: let me bring your attention to board exhibit. It
1: doesn't make sense.
4: 37. It's an email from Savannah Okoronko to you dated October seventh, 2021. Do you see the subject line? What is the subject line?
1: CR 21-191, Notice of Complaint Board of Medicine.
4: And uh, what does this uh, complaint inform you of?
1: It tells me that a complaint has been filed against me by Stephen Demetrio. Please find enclosed with this letter a copy of the complaint. And the complaint said uh, that he accused me of spreading this information but didn't ever specify anything more than that, except that he had seen an interview I had done on the internet.
4: Okay, let me stop you there. Go to Licensee Exhibit 59. Was there a second complaint? Yes. What is the date of the, and, and this is an email from Ms. Okoranko to you dated December 10th, 2021? Yes. Uh, is this a
2: Licensee Exhibit or Board
4: Staff Exhibit? These are board staff exhibits.
2: You said licensees, so I just want to make sure.
4: Now, uh, is that a notice to you of another complaint?
1: I don't think so. I had been asked previously by Michael Miller, the main board, this is another complaint. The main board of licensure and medicine has received a complaint against you. Due to remote working conditions, the material is being transmitted to you solely via email. Provided in the link below for my review, please find the notice of complaint, a copy of the complaint, and supplements, an audio recording to include the transcript of that audio recording, and a licensing guide brochure with respect to the board's complaint process.
4: Does this uh, identify uh, the complainant?
1: This does not.
4: Okay. Uh, were you aware of who the complainant was? Did you subsequently become aware of who the complainant was?
1: Eventually I did. The second complaint was again from a stranger who also reported to the board that I had been spreading misinformation on the internet and specifically on Twitter, but did not initially cite a specific tweet or say what exactly I had said that was incorrect.
4: Let me stop you. So you had two two complaints about spreading misinformation, correct? Correct. And does the Board of Medicine have a rule regarding the definition of misinformation?
1: If they do, they wouldn't tell me because I asked them about four times to to give me the definition of misinformation as well as give me the statute or the rule under which misinformation could be prosecuted. And they, I specifically uh, emailed back and forth with Miss Okoronkwo, who never did, and then later with Michael Miller, who is the AAG working for the board, and she did not either.
4: So uh, let's go back to January 11th. Was that the date of an executive session of the Board of Licensure of Medicine? Yes, it was. Were you invited to attend the Uh, executive session. Yes, I was. Were you allowed to speak at the executive session?
1: No, I wasn't.
4: So is it fair to say this is the time any member of the board of licensure and medicine has heard what you have to say about the allegations? Yes, it is. Do you have the third amended notice of hearing? Yes, I do. Do you see uh, CR 21191 in the caption? Yes, I do. Do you see CR 21 210 in the caption? Yes. Did you become aware that board staff had withdrawn six rounds of discipline against you?
1: I did re- relatively recently over the last three
4: weeks. Okay. I want to identify those grounds. This is the third amended notice of hearing. It should be board exhibit number one. The grounds are de- identified in Roman numerals. Was Roman numeral three uh withdrawn as a ground of discipline? Yes. What
3: did it concern?
1: It concerned the AMA's code of ethics
3: and i, I object it appears the witness is reading from a piece of paper and i don't know let we know what that is
2: so can you tell so i can't tell from that attorney libby what is she reading from you can put it down though.
4: Reading from the third amended notice of Hearing, uh with uh handwritten notation of what the withdrawn charge was
2: okay and who, whose handwritten notes are they
4: their uh, mine and Dr. nass So, what was the withdrawn charge roman Rule Three?
3: I'm going to object only insofar as Dr. nass being asked to testify to notes that her counsel helped her make. I don't think that's a uh, proper uh, foundation.
2: I mean, it, what what's being generated is simply information the board can look at by looking at. Well, I guess they don't have the original notes of hearing, but they have the third amended notes of hearing. They can see what was withdrawn. council and myself have the original notice of hearing so you can go ahead with these factual questions attorney would
4: well i have the amended notice of hearing amended notice of hearing here and we can do it the long way but i was trying to be efficient with our time right. i just
2: said you can go ahead with your question thank you You're welcome.
4: so what was withdrawn in number three
1: engaging in unprofessional conduct by violating a standard of professional behavior that has been established in the practice of medicine as set forth in AMA CME Opinion 1.2.11 ethically sound innovation, innovation in medical practice.
4: Uh, Ground number, Roman rule seven, what was withdrawn?
1: Violation of board statute or rules, specifically chapter six, telemedicine standards of practice for failing to appropriately coordinate care or provide medical records to patients one, two, and four, three's other treating physician or location.
4: Roman, uh, Roman numeral 10, what was withdrawn?
1: Engaging in unprofessional conduct by violating a standard of professional behavior that has been established in the practice of medicine as set forth in AMA CME opinion 331, management of medical records.
4: Ground 15, what was withdrawn?
1: Engaging in unprofessional conduct by violating a standard of professional behavior that has been established in the practice of medicine by violating her ethical responsibility to be honest in all professional interactions as set forth in the AMA Code of Medical Ethics, principle two.
4: Ground 16, what was withdrawn?
1: engaging in unprofessional conduct by violating a standard of professional behavior that has been established in the practice of medicine by engaging in disruptive behavior. Um, And there is a definition. Disruptive behavior means aberrant behavior that interferes with or is likely to interfere with the delivery of care. And let me say that no one has ever accused me to the board or anywhere else of aberrant behavior that interferes with patient care.
4: Ground 17, what was withdrawn?
1: Engaging in unprofessional conduct by violating a standard of professional behavior that has been established in the practice of medicine as set forth in AMA opinion 232, professionalism in the use of social media.
4: Now in addition to withdrawing grounds, the board staff also withdrew the factual allegations supporting grounds is that correct? Yes. Uh, Looking at factual allegation uh, 16.
1: The AMA code of medical ethics contains standards of professional behavior established for the practice of medicine and include in principle two that a physician be honest in all professional interactions.
4: That was withdrawn, correct?
1: I thought it was withdrawn.
4: Yes. Uh, paragraph 17.
3: I'm hearing officer. I, I just want to object this to the relevance of this entire line of inquiry. The counts that are withdrawn are not before the board. The facts that were withdrawn are no longer alleged. And in fact, counsel for Dr. Nass has agreed to a joint instruction that this would the the information that was withdrawn in large part is not going to be considered by the board in any event. That's the joint instruction. I, I, I this is an entire waste of time.
4: Well, no, it's not a waste of time. I, I want to show the board members, uh, uh, what was withdrawn for factual allegations, because it is essential to establish the doctor Nass was brought before the board, not for her treatment of patients, but because of what she said, and I will establish that as I continue.
2: Okay. So I would like to speed this up because it it is really bringing in information that isn't relevant to the actual allegations the board's going to be deciding on. The board's not going to be asked why was this these complaints brought originally. They're going to be making decisions based on what is left in the shared amended motion. So I'm not, not going to. I'm not going to prohibit you completely, but I'd ask you to speed it up because it it is laborious to go through each one of these individually.
4: I I certainly will. Uh, Paragraphs, uh, factual allegations 19 dealt with the Regis Tremblay interview. Has that been withdrawn?
1: I don't know if it's been withdrawn. Has it been? Yes.
4: Paragraph 20 dealing with your blog post. Has that been withdrawn? Yes. And your use of Twitter, has that been withdrawn? Yes. So, are there any allegations in this complaint dealing with what you said?
1: Apparently not. And yet, this board okay. voted today to continue okay. the suspension of my medical license.
2: Okay. So, okay. now we're going beyond the questions. Can we just go back to question and answer and quickly finish
4: this up? Go to board. Board staff exhibit 43. This is an
1: email from Savannah Okoronkwo to me with a CC to Michael Miller uh, of the board on October 14th.
4: Michael Miller is not on the board. She's an assistant attorney general. Sorry,
1: board staff.
4: What is the ray regarding?
1: CR 21-191 notice of complaint, board of medicine.
4: Now, uh, in this time in October, Dr. Nass, were you pressing board staff to identify to you uh, what misinformation you were being alleged to have uh published yes and did miss Onkoronko uh reply to you on october 14th 2021 yes and i want you to read uh, what she said starting on the fourth line of her email to you
1: The basis here for the board's jurisdiction is that there is alleged unprofessional conduct, particularly where you you have communicated in your capacity as a physician in the interview and on the website that could allow for patients and the public to view the information you provide as misleading and or inaccurate.
4: And does it continue and refer you to the American Medical Association Code of Medical Ethics? for provisions that apply?
1: In context, other than a patient clinical setting. In other words, my private life. The board claimed, Susana Okoronkwo claimed jurisdiction over my private life.
4: So let me ask you this, are the American Medical Association Code of Medical Ethics, have they ever been adopted by the Board of Licensure in Medicine as a rule?
2: No
3: are they enforceable no objection outside the scope of the witness expertise lack of foundation i'm
2: going to sustain that and i also want to curtail this i mean you've made your point and you've gone through the allegations that were withdrawn i'd like you to move on to the questions that are related to the allegations that remain
4: can you go to board exhibit 117 yes uh, what is that
2: this is a section
1: uh section 3286 of title 32 This is Maine law, emergency action, which gives uh, the justification by which the Board of Medicine can immediately suspend a medical license.
4: Now, uh, did the Board uh, use this statute to order you uh, for an evaluation by a psychologist?
0: Yes,
1: it did.
4: And the statute defines... Uh, how it can be used, does it not?
1: Yes, it does, it it defines the grounds upon which an immediate license suspension can, and only under these grounds, can be performed.
4: Now, reading on the third line of the statute, uh, license can be suspended uh, if the physician is unable to practice medicine with reasonable skill and safety to patients by reason of mental illness. Do you have a mental illness, Dr. Nass?
1: No, I do not. Have
4: you ever been diagnosed with a mental illness? Never. Do you take any medication to treat a mental illness?
1: I do not and never have.
4: Continuing with the statute, it says alcohol int- intemperance. I, ha- have you ever uh, been diagnosed with alcohol abuse?
1: I have never been diagnosed with it. I drink very little. Maybe five drinks a year.
4: Continuing with the statute, excessive use of drugs or narcotics.
1: I have never done this, never been accused of it. Not something that I do.
4: If you've never been affected by those conditions, did it impact your mental or physical condition interfering with the competent practice of medicine?
1: Absolutely not. And no patient or anyone else has ever accused me of any of these things.
4: You sat through the executive hearing, correct? Yes. You weren't allowed to speak, but you sat through. So why did it appear to you the board ordered you to go for a psychological examination?
1: I didn't know it at the time. But later, when I read the statutes, I discovered that this was the only justification, that a, a mental illness or dementia were the only possible excuses to immediately suspend my license because I didn't meet any of the other criteria that are listed in another uh, part of the law. And so they implied, and I'm serious, I'm really upset about this because they implied to the national media that I was either demented, crazy, or a substance abuser. Um, Dennis Smith, the executive director of the board provided these criteria as why they would have Issued this immediate suspension. So thank you, you all, for destroying my reputation. Okay, let's. Just... Okay, so we're gonna
2: we're gonna strike at the end of that answer. You're not answering the questions. And Attorney Libby, I'm gonna ask you to rein your client in a little bit, so we can go back to question and answer because they're sort of wide ranging answers here.
4: Did the publication of this order for evaluation affect your reputation, Dr. Nass? Yes. Do you believe it was intended to affect your reputation, Dr. Nass? Yes. And uh, did it affect uh, your relationships in the greater community? Yes, it did. Professional and family? Absolutely. I wanna look at board exhibit five. Am I correct that in paragraph two of board the order of directing evaluation it says on october 26 2021 the board received a complaint alleging that dr nass was engaging in public dissemination of disinformation regarding the sars cov2 pandemic and the official public health response calling vaccinations
1: via a video via i'm gonna
3: v- ob- object madam hearing officer Exhibit five has been withdrawn you, you can withdraw the exhibit
4: but you can't withdraw the uh facts that led to the board's investigation
2: okay so you've already i'm
4: entitled to establish
2: them okay but you've already established that i gave you a lot of leeway to do that i've asked you to move on and you can't read from an exhibit that hasn't been admitted so can you move on to another question
4: well i don't have to admit this exhibit it's the board's order
2: i'm going to ask you one last time to not interject while i'm speaking let me finish my instruction before you start talking go ahead with your response you have a response
4: Yeah, it's the board's order for evaluation. It is still pending. It hasn't been withdrawn. It is it, the board needs to decide whether they're going to vacate this or, uh, affirm it.
2: The board already decided that at the beginning of the hearing, you have.
4: Oh, it didn't decide, excuse me. Go ahead.
2: The board decided that at the beginning of the hearing, So they're (laughs) going to do that right now. Now we're going to proceed with the hearing. We're in the midst of the hearing.
4: In paragraph three of the order, correcting evaluation, did the board allege that in response to the notice of the complaint, Dr. Nass questioned the board's authority? She stated, Please inform me how the Board of Registration and Medicine is authorized to investigate my private life.
3: Objection, lack of foundation, examining on an exhibit, not an evidence. So you're going
2: to need to move for the admission of this if you're reading from it and asking the witness to
3: read from it. Absolutely,
4: I'll move for admission. Uh, paragraph four, does it allege on November 7th, 2021, the board received a complaint for spreading COVID vaccine if misinformation on Twitter? Yes. On December 9th, does it allege that you stated to board staff, please consider this my response. Everything I say in public is accurate. It's astonishing that two people that I have never met are filing complaints against me for misinformation. Yes. Correct? Is there a patient complaint in this case, Dr. Nass?
1: There is not a single patient complaint, nor has there ever been.
4: Have you ever had uh, a board, uh, take disciplinary action against you for a patient complaint in any state at any time?
1: There was one instance of the son of a patient complaining um, about my care at Mount Desert Island Hospital, and the board reviewed the complaint and uh, it was dismissed. And it was explained to the son of the patient that I had been the only doctor of several who had treated his mother correctly. And he then wrote me a letter apologizing for the complaint and asking me to care for his mother again. That is the sole board action, the only time I have ever been involved with any board in my life. So let me just elaborate. There has never been a patient complaint. That was the son of a patient who misunderstood the treatment. Okay.
0: In 42
1: years practicing, there has not been an official patient complaint, nor any hint of a malpractice case.
2: Attorney Libby, can we have the next question for you?
4: License exhibit 157X. The board received uh, 286 pages of supportive letters and emails from patients and other, other community members.
1: Uh, yes, they did. We learned this from a FOIA.
4: What is a FOIA?
1: Freedom of Information Act.
4: Patients 1, 2, and 3. We've heard a lot about them, but we haven't seen them. Do you know whether patients one, two, and three will be testifying in this matter?
1: Uh, they are happy to testify.
4: The board, uh, on January 12th, 2022 gave you a choice of putting your license in inactive status, uh, or proceeding with a uh, disciplinary suspension, correct? they did what did you choose
1: i chose i chose to proceed and clear my name why because these you know capricious malicious uh, acts cannot be allowed to stand because there are hundreds of other doctors being attacked by medical boards on grounds for which there is no law misinformation we actually have a law about that and it's called the first amendment and we need to keep it and I'm sorry that the board and its staff was not familiar enough with that, with the first amendment to know it's called freedom of speech. People are allowed to say what they think. So
2: if, it's probably, be, I'm going to uh, Jack Dr. Nass. We're going very far afield from the allegations in the notice of hearing. You have made your point about the articles that were withdrawn, the allegations that were withdrawn. I'm asking you again, to direct the questions to allegations that remain so the board can get to the substance of information related to the allegations that still exists in the third amended notice from
4: here. This is uh, licensee exhibit 11 statement of the main board of pharmacy on dispensing chloroquine, hydrochloroquine and erythromycin, dated April eleventh, uh, 2020. Were you aware of that statement uh, at the time?
1: I was. I paid close attention.
4: And what was Excuse me, what was your understanding of that statement?
1: Um, My understanding is that uh, prophylactic use of hydroxychloroquine, chloroquine and azithromycin for COVID was prohibited, but that it could be used for active COVID.
4: Uh, Now, with respect to patient two, when you prescribed uh, hydroxychloroquine, Did he have active COVID? He did. With respect to patient three, when you prescribed hydroxychloroquine, did she have active COVID?
1: She definitely did.
4: And what was the reason for the Board of Pharmacy restricting the use of hydroxychloroquine? Objection, foundation. It's stated in in, in Exhibit 11.
2: The expressed reason? Dr. Nath? I'm just gonna reinstruct you if there's an objection, you need to wait for me to tell you if you can answer. Okay, so I'm gonna overrule that objection. You can go ahead and answer.
1: According to this statement of the main Board of Pharmacy, um, doctors and prescribers were prescribing for themselves or for patients without symptoms, uh, it could create drug shortages. Um, and adversely impact patients with legitimate and immediate needs for these medications, which is true, potentially, although people who are in contact with COVID patients like medical professionals also could potentially benefit from taking the drug as a prophylactic. I mean, note that I never did, um, but I think it's worth pointing out. That the logic of that uh, document
3: is objection going beyond the scope of the question. Yeah, she's
2: answered the question fully. Can we go to the next question, Attorney Libby? And I know we're coming up on five o'clock. So if you have a good stopping point, let us know. Uh,
4: this would be it, uh, Madam Hearing Officer. Okay. Showing sure you licensee exhibit thirteen C.
1: This is a main board of pharmacy meeting minutes of a January sixth, twenty twenty two board meeting.
4: And I I want to direct your attention to page two and the very last entry that says review of guidance paper 01, 2020 boards position during the coronavirus emergency.
1: Would you like me to read it? Yes. The board reviewed the guidance paper issued April 18th, 2020 regarding the board's position during the coronavirus emergency and agreed to remove it from the pharmacy website.
4: And uh, to your knowledge, is that the same Board of Pharmacy statement that we've marked exhibit 11? Yes, it is. This is a good breaking point, Madam Hearing Officer.
2: Okay, thank you.